Uh, Stu said we're heading out after church today. Bill, my wife Carrie, and myself, and Tom Johnson is going too. He may already be out there. But we're getting on the plane today, and I, I don't like getting on the plane, you know, gross. So I lowered the heat just a little bit in here, if everyone's okay with that. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that I'm nice and clean and presentable, you know, for everyone. So that's just free information. Today, we are going into um, the book of Acts. Again, we're diving in. Uh, but before we get there, I wanted to read something to you from a favorite passage of mine in the book of Romans, actually, uh, from Eugene Peterson's translation. Now, Eugene Peterson uh, did this thing where he took the Bible and he kind of craft, um, um, translated it into more kind of conversational language. It's paraphrased, if you will. But he used the, the true Greek text in order to do that. So I do find it to be very helpful, very valid. I like to read it alongside of more word-by-word translations to kind of help my understanding. And this was one of the first passages for whatever reason. It may have been a passage that I was teaching on uh, in my first year as youth ministry, but it's one of the first passages that I kind of stumbled across in Eugene Peterson's The Message. And it has stuck with me. It's one of my favorites, and it's going to help us out today. And so here in chapter 12, which is uh, in the book of Romans, it's a shift. We've gone from a lot of basically Paul's gospel, if you will, of a real defense and, and, and um, apologetics of who Jesus is and why we should follow him. And then now here's the shift in, in chapter 12. Okay, how do you live that out? And so this is what he says, chapter 12, verses 6 through 16. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. So... My little quips about getting on the plane. I'm already against Paul. Sorry, everybody. If you preach, just preach God's message, nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, Don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. And my favorite, practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians and be inventive in hospitality. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. That even means when you're driving, which I repent. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. And for today, don't be the great somebody. In the world that we live in, success and greatness, these are values, these are things that we strive for. And, you know, it's okay to want to, be, to, want to do good things. And it's okay to want to be successful, but we need, to, we need to be aware of where it's coming from and what's the intent. What are some great things, you don't have to shout them out, just think, what are some great things you have ever done in life? Think about through your careers, think about in your families, in school, wherever. What are some great things that you've done? And do you remember the feelings of of praise that you received from the observers of that greatness? 
the success you felt, the respect maybe that you got, the adoration that was poured upon you by the thing that you did. And those are hard feelings to kind of receive, respect, adoration, praise. They, we can very easily kind of eat them, ingest them. I was going to say bank them, but it's not bank because bank stores up. We, we eat them and we get hungry again. It's kind of like a Lay's potato chip. Y'all remember that commercial, right? You open up the potato chips, you get disappointed because the full bag is only half a bag. They claim it's, you know, the air and shipping. No, it's not. And so you open that up and you take a potato chip and you eat one and no one, nobody who likes potato chips goes and closes that up and puts it back in the cabinet. Now you have two, you have three, you always want one more. Another example is Coca-Cola. How many people like Coca-Cola? I mean, sometimes there's nothing better than, a, than an ice cold Coca-Cola. The fizz, the caramel color. I mean, you go to movie theaters and that's what they highlight. They show it to you and you're like, yes, I want one of those. But the problem with, with Coca-Cola products, they are sugary beverages and they are designed to make you want more. They are not a thirst quencher. They, are, they, they, want you, you want, they want you to guzzle more and more of that down, and there's no wonder why diabetes is such a you know, thing in our, in our country. But those are the things, and just like adoration and praise and respect and things that come upon us when we do great things, it can be very addictive. We can eat those and, and stock those away kind of and want more of it because it's fun being at the top. It's fun being admired by, by your people. Celebrities struggle with this so much. Celebrities, sport athletes, politicians, uh, people in power, they, they crave this adoration. And they will begin to do things and make priceless sacrifices of their time, of their faith, their morals, of their families in order to stay there. I'm reminded of a very uh, recent example, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, and I'm not going to pick on him. He is, you know, child of God, whatever. Tom Brady. Tom Brady has seven Super Bowl wins. Seven. That's enough rings for one finger and then two more over here, right? And he's a little bit old for football. And he went and tried to retire, but then what happened? What happened? He couldn't do it. He couldn't lay it down, and he picked it back up again. Now, from the outside looking in, I don't know what his family life was before that, and I don't know who he is. I don't know Tom Brady. I'm an Eagles fan. He lost to the Eagles, thanks be to God. So, <laughs> didn't get that finger, did he? No. <laughs> but anyways, he couldn't lay it down, and he lost his family. His wife divorced him. Now, the kids are dealing with that broken household, all because he couldn't lay it down. Michael Jordan. Do you know that the security code name for Michael Jordan in his home or wherever he is at where the security is, he makes them call him Yahweh. The most sacred name that we have for God. Adoration, praise, respect. They really make us do things, if we're not careful, that make us make sacrifices to our morals and our faith in order to have more with them. And what's left what is left when we have that adoration? It's just a bunch of people saying, ain't he or she swell. But the sad part of all of that is crowd adoration always shifts. As soon as the crowd is done with whatever you are doing, and if you don't deliver to their expectation, they go elsewhere. Churches fight this all the time, don't we? In the great age of the attraction model church where it was 
big programs, big things, try to get people to come in, and it was successful, and people came to faith through that. I won't, I won't, I won't deny that. But in the end, when you could not deliver anymore, folks were like, well, I'll go someplace where that can happen. So the attention of the crowd and the adoration is ever shifting and ever moving, and so that would mean that we need to be careful and trying to have that. Now, where does this all stem from? It stems, obviously, from our sinfulness. This is not new. And Adam and Eve fell. The serpent said to them, eat this fruit so you can be like God. It's ingrained in us. We want to be like God. We want to have that same power. We want to share in that power. We want to be our own bosses, our own lords. We want to amass all that things up by ourselves so that we can be great. Today in the book of Acts, we're going to meet a guy named Simon the Magician. And he kind of does the same thing. And I want to really kind of open this up and look at what the source of all this is as not only a warning for us, but also a bit of encouragement of how, how we are supposed to posture our hearts in our reverence and our belief and our following of Christ. Simon the Magician comes here in Acts chapter 8. Philip is just begun uh, going into Samaria, and people are coming to faith. And Luke very, very purposely pulls this story of Simon the magician to kind of hold up in comparison what's going on between folks who are professing a faith and what Simon's doing. And we learn that even in the profession of faith through our mouths, sometimes the confession of our heart is not always there. And when you don't confess with your heart, you kind of play at church and you kind of play at following Jesus. Even those of us who profess and confess Jesus as our Lord, we also have learned a couple of weeks ago, even we can fall into beastly actions. And so there's a great warning here of how we're supposed to lay it down and follow the Christ. We'll focus on the heart today and what it means to be humble, to bow, to kneel, to submit fully and to continually abide in Jesus and his Holy Spirit abiding continually in us. A heart that looks like that is a heart that doesn't seek to be the great somebody, but strives daily to follow, to be, or follow, excuse me, the greatest somebody. Let me say that again. A heart that does that doesn't seek to be the great somebody, as we have read in Romans, but strives to daily follow the greatest somebody. So, teed this all up, I want you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, page 1089. We're going to look through 9 through 13 and then 14 through 25. So if you got those, open those up, or you can get the pew Bibles there if you got your journals. We're all going to go into this scripture here. Let me see exciting faces. Let me see them. Everyone's excited, I think. I think. It's a cold, dreary day. I can see it, but we, we're going we're gonna to let the sun shine in here, okay? Let's dive in. All right, so... Acts chapter 8, 9 through 13, we're going to meet a guy named Simon, and we're going to see that something's fishy, something's a little off with Simon here, okay? So let's look, Acts chapter 8, verses 9 through 13, and then 14 through 25. 9 through 13, Simon the magician. So backing it up just before that, um, Philip is in Samaria, he's proclaiming them Christ, the crowd's are with one accord together. They are paying attention to what is being said by him, kingdom gospel truths. And when they heard Philip and saw the signs that he did, they were amazed and they became, and came to belief. So much joy was in that city. Now verse 9. But 
there was a man named Simon who previously practiced magic in the city and amazed, amazed people of Samaria. And he said of himself that he was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest. And they said, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were then baptized, both men and women. And even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. All right, so let's look at this. Something's fishy. Something's a little off here now in, in the idea of, of what... Um, uh, Simon is doing in the Samaritan's uh, view, Samaritan's view of Simon. And I think Luke did this with great purpose, as he does everything that we've read so far. He is drawing our attention into something. He wants us to pay attention. Pay attention, that phrase is used several times in that passage. I want you all to, I think Luke is saying in some ways, pay attention to how I have described this Simon. Simon who thought himself to be great. He told everybody, ain't I something? I'm very, very cool. I'm awesome. And the town were amazed by his little tricks of the trade that they were, and, and those tricks, those, the, it could be sorcery, it could be trickster stuff, but whatever it is, the town before Philip was like, wow, you are something. You are like God. You must be great. Now, that's a hard thing to ingest, isn't it? Think if someone said to you, about something that you did, my, you are like God. That's a hard thing to kind of, kind of receive. Those of us who have, I would say, those of us who are walking in our faith and have a strong faith in the Lord, it may be hard to receive, but I think initially, as I saw everyone's reaction, there was a little resistance there. I was like, no, 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 don't put that on me. Don't put that, that greatness on me of the one who is like God. But Simon, Simon doesn't do that. He, he kind of takes it in. And I love how Luke points it out first that he called himself great and then is leading the Samaritans by this tricks for them to say that he's great. Now watch happens, what happens here in that, in that text that we just read. Look how quickly the crowd's attention shifts. So he's doing tricks, all the smoke and mirror things. And then here comes Philip. And Luke always says this, he wants to highlight this, preaching Kingdom things in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what's going on. This is what we're supposed to do as witnesses. This is what we're supposed to do as we're being sent. Focus your message on the, the truth of the kingdom, the kingdom to come, and who Jesus Christ is, who he is and what he's come to do. And so Philip, with that powerful message and with the signs that he did, the healings and the things that, that he did there, the crowd's attention shifts to the new, newest cruise ship in town. And they are amazed by him, but not only amazed, they are led to belief and baptism. So some significant things are going on there. But then it also says that Simon was caught off guard by all this, and that he believed and was baptized too. Now for me, I I wish I could bring Luke up here as a guest speaker. You know, just to, here you go. Don't have the power to do that. 
But as I am reading this text, I feel the tone that is being portrayed here that you can't really see in the English, I don't think, and maybe not even in the Greek. But I feel like if we could, Luke would say, now Simon also believed and also was baptized. He put those little, those little quotes there, and we all know what that means, like, yeah, like he may have believed and sure he was baptized. And I think he does that on purpose because as we focus in on what Luke says about Simon, what is he most amazed by? Is he amazed by the truth and the message of the kingdom and Jesus or is he amazed by something else? What do you think? The miracles, right? The magical kind of stuff. He's kind of blown away by that kind of stuff. And it says here that he now becomes best friends forever with Philip and can't leave his side because Philip's doing all this crazy, wonderful, awesome stuff. Something fishy about Simon. His heart's a little bit off. Now, let me, let me cross-reference something for you. In the Gospel of John, Jesus incurred this as well. John chapter 2, Jesus is doing all these signs and wonders. And the crowds are gathering. And they're bringing more and more people to be healed. And the hype, it's getting really kind of blown up. The hype is, 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 is large. Crowds are huge. And Jesus retreats himself away from that because he's starting to realize that the crowds are not necessarily focusing in on the giver of the signs. They are focusing in on the actual magic and all of the, of the sign itself. Do you get the difference? They're more focused on the and the power of it all and not the one who, is, who has the authority to do it not the one who has been given that authority to do it. So their, their amazement's misplaced. And even Nicodemus, a Pharisee, comes and says, oh, you're something special, aren't you? You gotta be from God. And Jesus is like, you don't quite, you don't, you're missing everything. You don't understand this. Who cares about the healings? Well, I mean, it's great. But I mean, don't be so wrapped up in the, the um, I hate to say the magic of it, but the supernatural healing that's happening, be wrapped up in who I am and who has given me the authority to do that. Well, here we are with Simon and Philip, and Simon's getting wrapped up in the wrong things. His posture is, I want to receive that sign. I, that is amazing. I want you to heal whatever it is is going on in my life so that I can have a little bit of that too. But a heart that follows Christ one that doesn't want to be the greatest somebody. The heart says, I want you, O Christ. I'm not sure what that means or what will change in my life, but whatever it is, regardless, I want you. Now pause a second and just think of your own faith. Be a little challenged this morning in that when you profess the faith and confess Jesus as your Savior, was it because I wanted to get out of hell free card? I wanted to save myself from the burning flames. I wanted that forgiveness. Or was it that you were so captivated and so gripped by his love that you wanted to follow him? Him. Him only. That's a real kick in the pants because I think it's a little bit true on both sides for all of us. I mean, naturally, who wants to go to the bad place? No one, right? And if, and, if, and if that is being offered to me that through Christ, a belief in him, that I can get out of that, well, sure, sign me up for that. 
But I think as you grow in your faith, you begin to realize that the salvation and the grace, as important as they are and so foundational to our faith, our heart's longing ought to be solely to see Christ, to solely follow Him, no matter what happens around us. And a lot of you in this room have had a lot of things happen around you and the world coming down in, in ruins. The world's going to do that. It's going to end up in ruins. But the faithful who follow Christ will see his kingdom come, will be united with him because we're following you, Jesus. Not the water to wine, though that's kind of cool, keep doing that. No, not the, the, all the things, we're following you. Si uh, Luke wants us to focus in on Simon's attention on power. Referring to him as a magician is not a mistake. Or, another word, magi. See, there's the, Simon is referred as a, as, as a magi, but the word has, if you just change a little bit of the letters at the end, it changes its meaning. We've heard magi before, where? Christmas, right? And we've, not, we've, we've counted them to be good people. Like, they came, and they knelt, and they worshiped, and they gave. They weren't there to receive. They were there just to know and just to see and to worship. Now, magi, as it's listed in Matthew, for those wise guys, for those wise men, means uh, people who have supernatural knowledge, studying of the stars. That's what they kind of follow. And they, they seem to have a better understanding of the intricacies of the world and the mysteries of the world. But the letters change for Simon, for magi, and it's not astrology and supernatural knowledge. It's actually practicer of sorcery. And so you're supposed to see a more almost demonic evil side to, to Simon who is wrapped up in those arts, who is wrapped up in that dark kind of magic. And because of that, that's what he's hungry for and that's what he longs for. Let's look at verses 9 and following and let's see what I mean. Not 9 and following, 14 and following, see what I mean. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for the Samaritans that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit had not fallen on them yet. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and the Samaritans received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw this, and saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. He says, here, here's some money. Give this power also to me, so that anyone in whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain this gift with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in gall of bitterness and bond of iniquity. He says, I see that you're shackled. You're still bound. And Simon answered, well, then pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you'll say will happen to me. And then we don't see Simon anymore. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, this is the apostles, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
All right, so something's fishy between Simon. Simon's focus is on the great power. He is focusing on receiving that thing and not necessarily following Jesus. So much so that, that even Simon, like the crowd, shifts his priorities. So he was with Philip and following Philip and the message and the signs that he's doing. And then all of a sudden, Peter and John come into town. They lay hands on and something even more supernatural happens. And he's like, forget you, Philip. And he goes over to Peter and John and is like, hey, that was awesome. Here's some money. Show me how to do it. Show me how to do that trick. And Peter looks at him and is like, basically, get behind me. Be gone. He chastises him. He says, you're still bound and still shackled. He gives him a chance to repent. He says, I'll give you a chance to repent. But he doesn't offer forgiveness or he doesn't offer the Holy Spirit. He's like, you better just get right with God and have God try to sort you out. But you're not going to have any part in any of this until that's done. So something's fishy and it's because Simon is paying attention to the wrong things. It illumines his heart posture that he wanted greatness shared with him. He didn't want to just follow Christ. He wanted Christ's power to do ministry, quote unquote, with Jesus doing those same awesome things. And Peter's like, don't be the great somebody, man. Just join, just join the band. Here's your instrument and fall in line and play. Some people are, are, are elevated to positions of leadership and power and some people are not. But all people are in this band together for the sake of the gospel, so that people see Jesus and not you. Now, I got to confess to you a little bit that there is a struggle, same type of struggle that maybe you and I face that Simon faced. I looked at Simon's story and I was convicted of it because as a pastor, so people who get called to be a pastor and get called to oversee a church, it is just a small I can't impress upon you enough, a small step to change the intent of why I'm doing this. Like I became a pastor because I felt called that, that God is going to use me to further the kingdom and the gospel and to help people see that. And he's given me gifts to do that. And that's what I want to do. I want people to know who Jesus is. I want to send people out on mission so that others will know who Jesus is. And I want it to be awesome for the kingdom and for the furthering of the gospel. That is true bedrock knowledge. But the sinful side of me, the beastly side of me, also, if I give it power and give it voice in my heart, says, I want the church to be great and grow and be successful for the kingdom, but not necessarily for Christ. I want that to happen so that you all think we made a right choice. I want that to happen so that you all think, ain't he something? I want that to happen so that you all think, oh, We've got a great pastor. It's such a small shift. And so you have to be careful about the praise and the adoration that comes with it. You see, when you have a heart that's like that, it's like saying, I want all the blessings, Father, but none of the hardship. I want all the peace, Father, but none of the chaos. I want everything that you have to offer to me, Lord Christ, but I don't want to be humble. I want everything that you're going to, to entrust me with, but I don't want to necessarily have to always consult you and figure out if this is the right thing to do. I don't know if you have ever had that struggle. 
See, Simon's playing at being a follower. Someone who plays wants all the good things, but wants nothing bad, nothing hard, none of the sacrifices that come with it. Of course, Christ says to us, if you want to follow me, the first thing you got to do is lose yourself. You got to set that stuff aside. Because life is hard, and the world will crumble around you. And if you're all in it for yourself and not for Christ, you are going to crumble too. The things that life throws at us are meant to knock us off. I'm not a fan of the statement, and you've heard this before, he only gives you what you can handle. That is absolutely false. We live in this world, and there are things that are thrown at us that we 100% cannot handle on our own. People try, and that's why you have addictions. That's why you have people falling into into things that they they go into. Even people who profess Christ can, can fall victim to that. But it's Jesus saying, listen, you follow me and trust me through this. We will walk through this together. My, as you all have known, and, and my mom doesn't know this, she's here. Say hi, mom. Yep, I'm going to make you cry. Uh, my grandmother passed away, my mom's mom, this Monday. And so she was there and got to hold her hand and got to see her breathe her last. And I talked with mom a little bit after that, and, and she said it was a blessing, but it's weird, and it's because it's a hard blessing. Hard blessings. Lord, give me the blessings, but what if we prayed, give me the blessings in the midst of the hardship, and I know the hardship's going to happen, but we can walk through it. And the beauty part of it is she's wearing two crosses, one's hers, and the other's is my grandmother, who she actually, as grandma passed away, then she was able to, when they were preparing, you know, to, to take grandma away, she took the cross, and so she had that as a nice little memory of hard blessings. Simon the magician wants none of that. All right, Mom, we'll bring it back to the Bible. Simon the magician wants none of that. He wants none of that. He just wants the power. Give me the power. Let me have that so I may have it too. And Peter says, basically, get behind me, Satan. You'll have none of it to do. Now, the only other thing that I'll say, and then I'll conclude out, I don't know if I I don't have enough time to go into it. There is something also significant in this text too that you may have raised a red flag and say, oh, I have a question. And that's the fact that John and Peter had to be called in to Samaria and that they had to lay their hands on them in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Like, what is this delay of the Holy Spirit? That doesn't track with what's been happening thus far other than with the apostles, where the apostles were told to wait until the Holy Spirit came. And I think, as I studied and looked at commentators, I think... God did that on purpose. We can't control the Holy Spirit. We don't know where it goes. And we can't contain God. And the commentator that I was reading, Peterson's commentary on Acts, he he surmised that what's happening here is steeped in the racial um, um, hatred between Jerusalem and Samaria that I talked about last week. And God is really trying to say to Jerusalem, them too, they are us and they are a part of this as well. And so just like the apostles had to wait for the Holy Spirit, so did the Samaria, the Samaritans there. And the apostles Peter and John came as representatives, the representatives of Jew Christians. They were the ones, they are like, you know, the cream of the crop. They come, they lay hands on it, and then they leave professing and preaching Jesus all through Samaria. It's a message to Jerusalem that says that you and them, and it's a setup for everyone else, the Gentiles. 
And so that was one way of looking at why there was a delay there for that. And I just wanted to kind of touch base on it real quickly because it may be a question to you all. But today we said that the thing that we are looking at is the posture of our heart and the warning to not posture our hearts for trying to receive the blessings, all the goodness from Jesus, but to actually just simply follow him. Don't be the great somebody, but follow daily the greatest somebody who gives, him, gives the Holy Spirit to everyone who receives the Holy Spirit that continual permanent residence inside of you and teaches you and gives you power to want kingdom things and not my kingdom things. Strive to follow the greatest somebody and share that good news so that they see Jesus in you and not, not you. Let's pray. Greatest Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message this morning and this uh, challenge of sorts in that we want to see you, Jesus. We want to follow you. But inside of us is a war that's trying to seize control, power, adoration, and success. Father, silence that, that voice in us that says that we know better than you. And give us the power, your power by your Holy Spirit, to live in such a way with such genuineness of heart, such sincerity of heart, such love for others that comes from you that they see you in us and not us. For this is about knowing you, Lord, you, O oh Jesus, who in that knowledge and faith in you, we receive salvation, we receive grace, we receive sonship and daughtership of Christ. But it all comes from purely just wanting to know, love, and follow you. So Lord, let us continue to do that in this broken world so that we may incur the hard blessings and be able to walk with strength that only comes from you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let know us. that the grace that you have received is the knowledge in Jesus Christ, who calls you by name as sons and daughters, and you share in that sonship with him. You share in the glory, you share in the joy, you share in that inheritance. Let that be the thing that fuels your light so that when you leave here today, you may share that with other people and that they don't see just how great you are, but they see the greatest somebody in whom you are following. Go and share the good news of Jesus Christ in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God's people said, amen. amen. Have a great weekend, everybody.